Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Breaking Bad. So I'm not going to talk to you as much about breaking bad as I am about good and about goodness. We have phrases like, oh my goodness, for goodness sake, thank goodness, goodness gracious. We drop our kids off at somebody's house and what do we tell them when they get out of the car? Be good, right? You kids be good. Some kids we literally describe this way, like he's a good kid. He's a good guy, she's a good girl, or he's no good. So you have this goodness versus badness. If you look at the antonym for goodness, it's wickedness, meanness. Now I'm gonna read you some commentators, just go through this pretty quickly, and some definitions for goodness. A disposition in us to hurt none, but to do all the good we can to all. It's also morality. One of the commentators said, morality implies conformity to the recognized standards of right conduct. A citizen of the highest morality, virtue is a rather formal word and usually suggests goodness that is consciously or steadily maintained, often in spite of evil influences, a man of insatiable virtue. So someone that is a truly good person that manifests goodness It's not a one-off thing. It's a consistent thing. Another dictionary, Eaton's Bible Dictionary, says this, goodness in man is not a mere passive quality, but the deliberate preference of right to wrong, the firm and persistent resistance of all moral evil, and the choosing and following of all moral good. You can try, and this is how I put it, you can try to do good without God, but you will never truly be good without God. So you say, well, I try to be a good person. That's not enough. You say, well, is it bad to be good? And I've said this repeatedly in regard to salvation. Being good is never bad. It'll just never be good enough because you don't get into heaven by being good and you don't even have goodness without knowing you're going to get into heaven because you can't truly manifest biblical spiritual goodness apart from Christ. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Another commentator says, goodness is virtue and holiness in action. It results in a life characterized by deeds motivated by righteousness and a desire to be a blessing. Goes down and talks about the Greek word translated goodness is defined as uprightness of heart and life. Goodness for the benefit of others, not goodness simply for the state of being virtuous. W.H. Auden said, goodness is easier to recognize than to define. Now, let me, before we jump into the scriptures here, let me say something to you. I'm about to read you a bunch of verses, and I say this repeatedly. And the reason that I'm going to define goodness today, try to do that and go through the scripture, is because I believe it possibly will create a hunger and a thirst in our lives to be good, truly good. Now you say, well, I'm not interested in that, but I love learning more things about the Bible. You are wasting your time. 
You say, well, what could possibly be wrong with learning things about God in the Bible? If you have no intention of reading about these things, and then that causes a hunger and thirst for these things, then what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to be smarter, and I can play, you know, Bible trivia, and I can answer questions and be impressive. You want to be impressive? Live a godly, holy Christian life. That's impressive. But you cannot do that without Christ, and you can't do that without applying his word and his will to your life. So the only reason, I'm going to read you this because it's in scripture, but the main reason I'm reading you all these things is that you would say, wow, what is that? And if it really is possible to have that, I want in on that. If that's part of being a Christian, I'd prefer to be a good person with goodness in my life than the person that I tend to be bad, although occasionally, or I try to be good along the way. So I'm not just talking about helping you see things that you're doing that are good. I'm talking about at the core, having goodness as a part of your life and that it's consistent, that when everyone else may be going a different way, you pick righteousness, you pick holy, you pick him. And if that's what you're after, this will help you. So go to Genesis. Let's do Genesis chapter one pretty quick and I could read you all of chapter one he makes light in the first few verses at the end of that he saw the light and what did he say about the light it's good goes through all these things says they're good then chapter one verse 31 then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good so the evening and the morning were the sixth day you know he's amazing I understand that dogs see the world in black and white anybody know that right heard that Why do I get to see in color? Was he being mean to dogs? I don't think so. But just look at color. Look at this planet. You say, wow, how could anybody see the earth, the universe, and not come up with there's a God? You know, he it's like this is a temporary thing that he built to reveal his glory. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 1, they're without excuse. How can you see this, experience this, and not know there's a God? It's possible because a lot of people do it. So even from the beginning, it's good. Now go to Genesis chapter six, verse five. Now this is only six chapters in. And look how once sin entered the picture, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And then boom, saves eight people, keeps the animals, and starts over. God's not a big fan of evil. Not a big fan of wickedness. Not a big fan of meanness, the other word that was used to define the antonym for goodness. And ultimately, it cost him his son's life. So really not a fan. Psalm 23, verse 6. This is something to think about. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, and so they have a relationship. He's a sheep. The Lord is his shepherd, and he engages in this relationship of being led and provided for and all these things. But you may not have considered what this verse even means. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So for the rest of my life, from now till I die, and once I die, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But until I die, who's following me around? Mercy and goodness, pursuing me. Ever feel like you're being followed? Kind of being stalked? What if God is literally stalking you, pursuing you, following you with mercy 
and goodness. Would you care for some mercy and goodness today? No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, but you need mercy. I'm right here. I've been following you around since you became a Christian. Mercy. Here's mercy. Goodness. I've got good stuff for you. No, I believe I'll take all this stale, putrid, rotten life that I've chosen. Who would do that? We do that all the time. We pick sin. We have a Savior. We pick sin. And right there pursuing us, following us, mercy, goodness, till the day you die. Look behind you someday, maybe today, and say, Lord, am I being followed by mercy and goodness today? I believe I'll have some of that because I need mercy and I need goodness. Psalm 31, 19. Look how the psalmist describes him here. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. Now, what's he talking about? His goodness. God wanting to be good to us. It's who he is. He's laid up for those who fear him, which you've prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Why do we not pick him? Why do we run to everything and everybody else but him when he provides this? You say, well, I want in on his goodness. Then look at the next phrase. Fear him, trust him. I don't want to do that. Then you're going to miss out on the goodness of God. Now, listen to me. If you choose to reject his goodness, you will spend your life trying to make your own goodness for yourself. I am not going to allow the God who created the entire universe, who looked at it all and said it was good, said it was very good. The only thing he said that was not good was man being alone, and he fixed that, and now everything's good again. So I am not going to allow that God to provide goodness for me. I'm going to make my own way and be good to myself. And I'm sure you've got lots of game and manufacturing something to make yourself happy your way instead of letting him do it his way. Psalm 34. I love the way this is put. Verse 8, I believe. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. I'm not a big Brussels sprout man, right? So Brussels sprout, when I was a kid, that just like a slimy eyeball thing you use at Halloween to put in a bowl and, you know, scare kids. But when you get older, you learn something. There may be things you like, you just don't know you like it because you decided you don't like it without tasting it. So I'm some restaurant while back. Somebody brings out some hors d'oeuvre, which when you got kids in school, you don't know what that even is because that's just extra money. Like you crazy people buying alcohol. I don't know where you're getting money for alcohol, but shush. So they bring out this roasted Brussels sprouts. Has anybody had this? And what did the person say to me? Try it. Taste it. No, I don't like those. Really. Have you ever had a roasted Brussels sprout? Nope. So you know already you don't like it without tasting it. Yep, I already know that. Now that's silliness, right? Now if you taste it and then you find out you don't like it, you at least tasted it. Don't tell me you don't like the Lord's way unless you taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. So you get a taste of Jesus and what happens? You go, wow, that is good. That's what happens to you. I believe I'll have another glass of that every day. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 145, verse 5. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty 
and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Now, if you just stopped for a minute and said, how has God been good to you? Could you come up with anything? So I didn't grow up in a black church, but I visited a few. And one of the things you'll hear in that community is what? God is good all the time. Look at that. White people know it too. Um, (laughs) And all the time, God is good. That shouldn't be just something you just culturally rattle off. If God is good all the time and all the time God is good, why are you going to go anywhere else? Will you say, well, he's good, but I found something better. There's nothing better than a good God. So good luck. Nothing better. Mark chapter 10, little story about Jesus and encounter with a man and very interesting things communicated. Mark 10 verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, a man running up to Jesus, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, this sounds urgent. You know, man, I I need an answer. Runs up to him, kneels and refers to him as good teacher. And how does Jesus respond? So Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? Like, let's start there. Not be saved, repent. He says, why do you call me good? And look at his answer. No one is good, but one that is God. Romans chapter three, I think verse, is it 10? None is righteous, no, not one. Nobody good, but God. Okay. Verse 19, what does he say to him? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. I'm good, right? I'm good. And then something I've never seen myself until studying to prepare for this. I don't know why. You know, you look at the Bible and go, where's that been all these years? Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I missed it. It's one thing to look at somebody. It's another thing to look at somebody and they realize you love them and you do love them. So that's where this is all coming from, a heart of love. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. We're almost there then. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Shouldn't take you long, just have a big sale. Looks like you're running up here kneeling and I love you and I'm on your side and we're almost there. You say, well, what is that about? The guy's, he hasn't done any of these other things. Why is Jesus picking on him? And look what happened to the guy. But he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, I don't believe that this instruction is given to all people. This was his problem. But I'll tell you an interesting trap to run. If Jesus spoke to you and said, hey, I got an idea. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and just come follow me. How long would it take you to land on that? It's funny, the more people have, the harder that is to get your head around sometimes. We like the story of the widow's mite, because what'd she do? She threw in what? Everything she had. She didn't have much, but she gave it everything. What if he told you to throw in everything? Is it too much? Be sure you don't have too much to throw everything in if that's what he requires. Dangerous place to be. So then the conversation turns to the disciples. This guy's gone. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is, and look how he phrases this, how hard it is 
for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches? So he goes from those who have great riches, then he identifies what the guy's problem was. For those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now, why would they ask that question? Are they rich? We all have something we trust in more than him, or we trust him. And see, we let ourselves off the hook, and we say, well, I'm not rich, so it must be for those other people, those rich people who should be sharing. <laughs> but what are you trusting in more than God? What do you got? And it's interesting that even if you don't have very much, you'll hold on to your nothing before you'll let it go and trust him. I can tell you from personal experience, you let go of your whatever you got, he can outdo you multiple times. <laughs> you cannot outgive God. It's not possible. Keep reading. Verse 27, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we've left all and followed you. Look at us. We left everything and we followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one. Now look at this and listen carefully. He told them, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, what happened to me when I became a Christian? You say, well, it happened when you were a young child. Okay, what happened to you? Well, it happened to me when I was an adult and my family has nothing to do with me and blah, you know, whatever your story is. But look at what you picked up by entering in this other family. A hundredfold, he says. I got more family now. I got more lands. I got more everything. You say, well, they're not yours. No, they're ours. You say, well, no, they're not. They're in somebody else's name. You know, I've discovered something very interesting about people who get all this. They do share. I've had people say to me and I haven't been able to take them up on it. Oh, we have a lake house up in Arkansas. You guys can use it any time. Who says that? Well, they shouldn't have a lake house. How do you know? What if they got a lake house and they're running hundreds of missionaries through that lake house, giving them a place to rest or pastors or whatever? That's none of your business. Usually stingy people judge generous people. Well, that's not fair. Nobody's letting me use their house. They don't want you in their house. You're mean. You're stingy. Probably tear it up anyway. Keep reading. <laughs> Romans chapter 2. I read this the other day again. I'm going to keep reading this. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Who's been following you around as a Christian? Goodness and mercy following you around. What does God say? You're about to go do this stupid thing again. How about some mercy? How about some goodness? How about my way? Pick my way. Just one time, pick my way. Taste this. Taste this. My way. Nah, I like evil. I like wickedness. I like sin. I'm going to jump back in my hell hole. And yet he keeps following you around, offering you up what he has to offer. 
How many of you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Raise your hand. Romans 15. Look how he's described here. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Filled with goodness. Galatians chapter 5. Funny how it always ends up in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, so I recommend, I'm not going to read all this, Galatians 5, verse 16. I'll read it again. Now look what it says. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, you're not bound by this thing that's going to happen. If you are not led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, then that overwhelms that law, the law of sin and death, where you don't have an option. So you're led by the Spirit, and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I don't have to sin anymore. You're like, nope, you don't have to sin anymore. Well, how'd that happen? The Spirit of God's in control of your life. He ain't going to sin, so why are you sinning? Now, he gives a list here. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. He goes through this whole list. Now, let me tell you something interesting about that list. If you go read the fruit of the Spirit again, is singular. So when you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you get all that list. When you walk in the flesh, you get all that list. You say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not that list. Just give it time. Let's just pick one of them that might be easy to identify, which is the first one. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. You say, I've never cheated on my wife physically. I'll hand out my cell number and would like to meet with all the men who have never thought about another woman in your whole life, lusted after another woman. Love to meet with you this week. Never met that man. Now, women don't like hearing this stuff, but that's number one on the list. You say, whoa, thank God I'm not married. Oh, you're next, fornication. There you go. Got you right there. Bam. You say, well, I don't have issues with those things. Well, we'll find you in there somewhere because if you're not walking in the Spirit, it's going to show up. You're going to show up on the list. Down in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, I think it's Tim McGraw has a song. Anybody heard the song, Real Good Man? He has a line in this song that says, I may be a real bad boy, but baby, I'm a real good man. So you say, well, I'm a bad boy. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about putting away childish things, time to grow up. No excuse for being a bad boy anymore. It's time to be a real good man. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. 
Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Now, if you are that man, if I am that man, and I am walking in the Spirit, and goodness manifests, it's going to be sustainable and consistent. Not just me doing one-off good things. Pretty soon, that will be one of the ways people identify you as a Christian. And one day you die, and people sit in your funeral, and one of the things they say is, wow, that was a really good man. Why? Because they saw goodness in your life. It was seamless. They watch how you live, how you talk, just how it all went down. But none of that manifests without the Spirit of God. And you can't have the Spirit of God living in you unless you have the Son of God as your Lord and Savior. So breaking bad is actually impossible without the Spirit of God producing fruit in the life of the believer then miraculously, goodness, along with the rest of the fruit, explodes onto the branches of our lives. And that's what was intended. And that's what is possible. So I encourage you, you say, well, I don't believe all this. Take a sip. Taste and see. He's good. And he can be good in you and through you. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.